0: Good morning, everybody. You know what? I just got to start and let y'all know. Big, big shout out to those of us in this room that use our cell phones as an alarm clock. Because those are the ones that... Didn't even care about daylight savings time because your phone, your phone just automatically does it. So big shout out to you! Big shout out to uh, to all the college students that came back a day early from spring break to gather with us this morning. That's uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, I uh, JD and I actually also took. Uh, we had the opportunity to take our own little spring break this week. Uh, kind of not really, but mostly. And uh, we went down, we, we, we hopped a flight, uh, praise God, we hopped a flight in comfort, comfort, comfortable seating uh, all the way down to Orlando, Florida. Um, I know, man, we were suffering. We were suffering for Jesus, it was great. Um, it was so, it, man, it was so beautiful, but I'm not going to rub it in for those of y'all who had to stay here. We were in Florida this week, specifically, uh, we had the opportunity to attend um, the Exponential Conference. Now, I'm going to keep it real with you all. For those of you who know me well, know this about me, the rest of you are going to learn it. I normally attend these things with no intention of actually like, you know, going to all this stuff, right? Like my normal normal posture at conferences and gatherings like this is I just want to be with people. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want to find the people that I get to see once or twice a year, maybe less, the people that I'm only going to see this week and then probably won't see again. I want to find those people, and we're going to kick it. We're going to hang out. We're going to fellowship. We're going to talk about what God's doing over there. I'm going to tell them what God's doing over here. We're going to share stories. But the people that I was with, they were really excited to hit some of these sessions and to go to the workshops, and so me, I was a good, I was a good steward this week. I hit all the sessions on time, and I went to a workshop. You would be proud. Um, <laughs> But I'm glad, I'm glad I was with them, I'm glad they they really emphasized this because, because this year's like main stage sessions, for me in particular, it was really affirming, honestly. It was crazy, like you wouldn't believe the number of speakers that like, that came up and were talking about the exact same thing that we've been talking about for the last several weeks. I mean, it was so affirming, it started with me in the very, very first session, everybody's geeked, everybody's packed in there because it's going to start and this is the beginning and there's thousands of people and everybody he's excited about worship and excited about the speakers. And then the second speaker comes out and they're a little less excited, but he but he gets them back and it's 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 good. The place is is engaged. And he tells this beautiful story. This phrase he kept repeating, he's pass it on. I'm not kidding. He can't make this stuff up. I'm like nudging JD like, "Hey, bruh, come on." You know what I'm saying? It was awesome. But he tells this beautiful story. He tells this beautiful story of, of, a, of a dying uh, Sammy Davis Jr. on his deathbed. Talking about how, how on his deathbed he, he took that time to pass on his legacy to his protege. And, and, and as he's unfolding this story, as he's telling it from his perspective, I begin to feel something that's like strange for me. I start to feel like this little like lump creep up in my throat. I'm like, oh, what? is going on. And as I like try to like address it, I feel like mist form on the edge of my eyes and I'm like, "Stop. What is <laughs> What is going on?" And he's just going on this story and so I do what any normal person does. I look around to see if anyone else is tearing up, you know? I'm like, I'm like, "Who else?" And fortunately for me, I mean the this whole audience, he had them in the palm of his hands. Tears. Fl- not a dry eye in the entire building. And as mist begins to form on the edge of my eyelids, just before I let a tear trickle down, I decide to look over at J.D. who's sitting next to me. And with no empathy whatsoever, J.D. says, no, bro, you cannot steal this story for your sermon. You're not allowed. (laughs) And I'm like, you don't know me. (laughs) Steal like an artist, bro. Come on, man. So we continue this morning with no incredible illustration whatsoever. We continue our series called Pass It On. For those of you who have not been with us, we've been going through, journeying through uh, Paul's letter to Timothy, his last letter that he would ever write. It's found uh, scripturally in 2 Timothy, so you can go ahead and start to, start to turn there. This is Paul's final letter. He writes it from a jail cell. He's not 100% sure what his fate is going to be, but death certainly seems imminent. And while he's writing this, he's encouraging Timothy, Timothy, man, I need you to know, I need you to know you got to be bold. I need you to know that there's some trying stuff that's going to come your way, that this is really, really not easy. You might as well go ahead and expect to suffer at least a little bit, and, 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 and it's okay. You're going to be okay. I need you to have boldness. Because his chief concern, as we read in this book, is he does not want the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ, which in Paul's experience, takes a murdering zealot, knocks him off of his horse, and makes him one of the most passionate authors, preachers, teachers, and communicators the world has ever known. The good news of Jesus Christ that changes so, so, so many lives. Any life that dares to want to come in contact with it, he does not want the spread of this good news to die with him. And so he emphasizes the importance of Timothy carrying it on. And so we're concluding our series. We're concluding our time in the final chapter of the book of 2 Timothy. It's chapter 4, so if you're with me, you're in 2 Timothy This is big number four, and we're going to start in little number one. We're going to start at the top. Here we go. It says, I solemnly urge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom, I got to stop us right there. I got to stop. I got to stop. I'm sorry. I know it's only one verse. I know we got a lot to get through today, but I've got to stop us because, because see, y'all, y'all go to Third Street, so I know you know the dangers of casual reading, but, 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 but to somebody who doesn't go here, they might, not, they might miss this part. They might casually glance right over this part. See, the thing about Paul is my man Paul, he, he, he writes and talks like I write and talk. He really likes run-on sentences. Not incredible with like, you know, like like perfectly forming sentence structures and all this kind of stuff. And so he likes run on sentences. And so a lot of time when we're just casually reading Paul's letters, we'll just casually glance over the first part of a sentence in order to get to the point. But we can't glance over this. The danger in casual readings, we jump to the end of the sentence and we miss the weight and the tone that Paul is setting. Paul just got done laying it on heavy. He's like, yo, in the last days, this is what it's going to look like. People are going to be foul. People are going to be out here with no God, with no care that they have no God, with no form of morality. It's going to look wild. There's going to be people that tell you to stop talking. There's going to be people who tell you that you're not saying stuff right. There's going to be people who try and and get at you and ruin your life for the way that you live. There's going to be... These situations, people will do this, but Timothy, you know better. And he just gets done telling him, like, you know better, Timothy, because you know scripture. You know scripture. I need you to stay in scripture. I need you to stay rooted. You know this stuff. You have deep faith. He just lays it on real heavy. But the tone he's setting here, he's saying, I'm saying all of that to bring it in to this. You can hear as you read intently, the seriousness in Paul's tone. He's bringing everything in to solemnly and directly give final instruction. This is going to be Paul's parting advice for his favorite disciple. And before getting to the actual phrase, he reminds his timid soldier that Jesus is the one who will judge the living and the dead. We cannot miss that. With all, with all seriousness, Jesus is the one who will judge the living and the, d- and the dead. Christ is the one who will determine each and every person's eternity. This suffering you will inevitably do in this life does not mean that you will suffer forever. These people coming at your neck is by no means an indication of the way that God feels about you. And Paul is emphasizing future glory to inspire Timothy to keep courage. It's easy this time of year for us to let that W2 determine our worth, isn't it? It's easy to let that W2 determine our worth. It's easy to believe that the tax bracket we fall in or the amount we get on our return indicates our value in this society. It's easy, but our paychecks, church, our paychecks don't buy us eternal life. And no matter how good of a health care plan our job gives us, it doesn't cover that fire, if you feel me. It's not the title on our business cards. It's not the initials before or after our names or how many years of training we had to go to get those little letters there. It's not our names recorded in a textbook or our records on a list of names or even the story our name tells us when typed into a search engine. It's none of these things that will keep us eternally. Family, it is Christ who is going to decide who lives on in glory forever. Aren't you glad? Just go with me for a minute. Aren't you glad it's not your neighbor? Aren't you glad it's not your boss? Aren't you glad it's not your teacher, your professor, the administrator, or the president? Aren't you glad that that's not who determines where you go? None of these determine that thing, but Christ is who determines eternal glory. So who are you working for? Who are you working for? All right, now we're ready. Now we're ready to get into verse 2. I solemnly urge you, in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom, preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming, as I've already mentioned, when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They'll follow their own desires. They'll look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They'll reject the truth in order to chase after myths. But you, Timothy, I'm sure Timothy's about done hearing that. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry. God has given you. But you. Paul gives a five-part instruction. He says, Timothy, if you're going to do anything, my son, my disciple, my guy, if you're going to do anything, man, preach. Preach the word preach the good news I know you've received Timothy I know you know it I know you believe it I know your heart feels it Timothy I need that to work its way up out of your heart into your throat into your tear ducts and come out your mouth Timothy I need the beautiful transformation that's inside of you to come out of you for everyone to hear For everyone to see, Timothy, if you're going to do anything, my man, let that come out. Preach. Preach He says, number two, be prepared. He says, always be ready. And then he tags on because, of course he does, he can't not just punch you where it hurts, whether the time is favorable or not. Whether you feel like it or not. Whether you got appropriate amount of sleep because of daylight savings time or not. Whether you know that man in the coffee shop is going to go with you or not. I need you to be ready. Be ready, Timothy. Then he says, patiently correct. He's like, look, you're going to need to have this stance. You're going to need to have this demeanor of patience. Because when I tell you people are wild, Timothy, you can't even picture what I'm talking about, my brother. You cannot picture how wild things are going to get. I need you to have the demeanor of patience. But while you do that, correct them. Paul believed people would be in danger of becoming too lax on morality or too lax, too relaxed on holiness here, he urges Timothy to keep a demeanor of patience, but with, but with that, to not be afraid to correct those believers who have become too lax. Amen. Do not adhere to their standard of godliness. Lead by example the standard of godliness that you know to be true. Amen. Fourth, he says to rebuke. Dang, that's so strong. Can't I just lead by example? Can't I just pray really hard that as I lead by example, they take the correction that I'm leading with my actions and my hands and my gestures? He says there are times where you're going to need to put a stop to something somebody is doing. Stop doing that. I need you to know that's not okay. And instead, lead them in repentance the opposite way. Finally, he says, encourage. It's the one I usually forget. But he says, don't forget. Don't forget to build people up. Because people are going to see the way you live, Timothy, and they're going to be like, man, I can never live up to that. Timothy, they're going to see the way that you live their life, and they're automatically going to self-select out. They're going to disqualify themselves. They're going to hear your correction. They're going to understand it. They're going to be on the receiving end of a stern rebuke, and they're going to be discouraged. Timothy, I need you to build them back up. We're all learners. We're all going to go through a season where we need to hear that it's going to be okay, that we're going to make it. Now, Here's the thing. If we know anything from going through this letter, if we know anything about Timothy at all, it should be, That Paul believed in his whole heart that Timothy was built for this. He was not asking Timothy to do something that God did not create him to do. He was not asking Timothy to step out of pocket and do something. He was asking Timothy to do something that he knows God made Timothy to do. It's like, Timothy, I know you're timid, like naturally. But brother, God has given you this faith that not everybody has. God has given you this ability to teach that not just anybody has. Timothy, I need you to live into that calling. I need you to live into what God has asked you to do. He sees Timothy as a pastor who will oversee the advancement of the good news. He's encouraging Timothy in the presence of God. Live into his calling. Whether you see yourself as a leader or not what I understand these words to mean is that we cannot self-select out of sharing in these same responsibilities we can't self-select out okay fine not everybody's gonna preach breathe a sigh of relief not everybody's gonna preach some people are gonna teach some people are gonna instruct Some people are going to be the ones that care for others. Some are going to see holes. Some are going to see plans and processes and procedures. Some are going to have this prophetic connection with the Spirit where they just intuit the heart of God. Some are going to develop incredible kingdom strategies. Some will find their place doing these things in the marketplace. But all have a role to do these things in the church. Did you catch that? Everyone has a God-given niche carved out by God before we were even formed in our mother's womb. When the scriptures tell us that we were carefully and wonderfully made, when, when, when he thought deeply and intricately every little thing about us, you don't think he saw what he wanted us to do. You don't think he knew exactly where we fit in the greater body, in the greater community of believers? He carefully, intricately put us together to fill a specific niche. I'm thankful that Third Street is not a one-man church. I'm thankful that the emphasis, the vision, the execution, the gathering, the everything is not on one person. Because if it was on one person, there would only be one person. I'm so thankful that this is not a place where we actually believe only the people who stand up on a Sunday morning are the ones with a voice. I'm thankful that we don't actually believe that only those with the most extensive amounts of training are those that actually are allowed influence in our community. I'm thankful we don't actually believe that. I'm thankful instead that we look at our church as it's more described in Scripture, which is as a body. A body's got a whole lot of parts that do a whole lot of different things. Some people are a hand. Some people are a nose. Some people are a mouth. That's probably me. Some people are an ear. That's definitely not me. That's my wife. What is your role? What is Your role. Let me say it another way. I like it this way better. What has God given you to do? What has God given you to do? How can you begin today living into what God has carefully crafted you to do? It's interesting to me that with Paul's dying words, he doesn't write to Timothy about where to find a secret cash stash. His last words to Timothy are not, there's always money in the banana stand. Shout out to all you who caught that reference. What's interesting to me is that Paul writes the main encouragement for Timothy to be bold. Not how to get rich, not how to manipulate the system, but for Timothy to be bold even when it's hard by living into his calling. What has God given you to do? Let's finish this section out. Verse 6. Paul says, As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Paul says, the time of my death is near. Minor linguistic thing here, when you look At its its text in Greek, the word that he uses for my death or my departure is less that of this final death or this final resting place. It more closely translates to the time of my loosening. It more closely translates to this phrase that people would have used in the military, which means the time of me taking down my tent. Okay. But when a soldier is at war, they take down their tent when it's time to move on. But somebody's gonna come into that position that they just left. Yeah. It's not that they died, it's not that the war is over, by no means. It's that it's time for me to no longer have a post here. It's time for me to take down my tent. It's time for me to move on. But what is implicit in this text is that, Timothy, it's time for you to put up your tent. It's time for you to come into this post. This base is yours now. Here are the keys. I'm moving on. You've got this. Everything I have done. Everything I've commanded, everything I've seen through, Timothy, I give to you. I'm being called home, and praise God for it, but you, it is your time. It's your time to be commander. Everything I have, I pass on to you so that you may pass on to everyone you come in contact with. In 2011, in 2011, um, there was a few of us who had been in this part of the city for a little bit, and we had this wild vision. This wild vision that 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 there would be a space, there would be a community center, if you will, that was specifically for kids, that was specifically for for the doors to be opened. To the teenagers and less that have been running around the neighborhood with no place to go. And there was one individual. There was a man who stepped out in boldness and in faith. There was a man who went against his own better judgment. There was a man who went against what would be good business sense. And there was a man who who blatantly defied his board of directors. Causing them to completely leave. But he did that in order to buy this old elementary school for $1. Because what God had allowed him to see was that there was a place for kids in surrounding neighborhoods to be safe, to play, to learn, and to grow in faith. This good news to the community was representative. It was indicative of the good news of the gospel that had been passed on to him. And that he envisioned people passing on to the kids of this neighborhood. That man, of course, as many of you know, is my father. And it, yeah. But this week... This week, my father and I will sit down, and together we will sign a piece of paper. And that piece of paper will give Third Street Community Church full leasing rights and full rights to run the business known as the Martin Center for the foreseeable future. What started as an ill-advised idea, as many of you know, has grown into a refuge in this community. And he now passes this on to us. He now passes this on to something he never thought would exist, a church, to advance the vision of this place. As this building is being passed on to us, so we the church must now pass on the good news of Jesus Christ to all who come in here, to all who leave from it, and to all who even hear about it. Church, what I mean to say, if you hear anything else in this entire series, what I need you to hear is this right here. It's our time. It is our time. 3rd Street, it is our time to pass on the good news that our God does not see a people condemned in Canton, but he sees relationships worth saving. It's our time to commit to gathering people from all walks of life here to worship the one God who created all color. It's our time to commit our families to being renewed by the Spirit of God that saw a a man once dead and made him alive. It's our time to go out into our very streets and restore the hope and the beauty the world has so hastily stripped from our city. But powerfully lives on in the heart of our Lord. It's our time to take what we as a church have received from God and pass it on. It's our time to pass it on. We all have the privilege of having received the good news. The good news that forgives all who have sinned. And the good news that heals all wounds of those who have been sinned against. And there's an opportunity that comes with that. To give that to those around us who have yet to see or hear or know or come into the opportunity. And it's on us now. It's our time. I just want to know who's coming. I just want to know who's going to be here. I just want to know who is going to step up and say, I don't know what my role is right now, but here's what God has given me. Where does that fit? I just want to know. And church, if we receive encouragement from the Apostle Paul from this letter, let it be these three things. We need not be afraid. For I am thankful that God is our only judge. We must step into our roles. But it's okay, because God particularly carved that role out for us. And we will, we have to, it's in our heart to pass on the good news of Jesus Christ.